Dad, tell me a story. So, how much is this? I pause and I listen very closely to see what this guy's going to say next to me. $6,000. He said it with a sharp, blunt, emotionless tone. Straightforward, he just said $6,000. I was torn after I heard that number. My wife and I held countless emotional conversations and debates about whether to invest in this program. It was a roller coaster of feelings trying to decide if it would really enable me to support our family. Plus, less than a year removed from college graduation and coming off a job that paid roughly $50,000 a year, $6,000 was pretty much our entire savings account. And we have two kids, or we had two kids at the time, now we have three. Still, despite all those logical arguments against me making this investment, I decided to do it. I decided to invest $6,000 in a coaching program that would teach me to build my own marketing agency. What card do you want to put this on? The sales rep asked me that and my heart started to beat out of my chest. I was nervous. I was scared. You could hear my voice shaking as my fidgety hands pulled the credit card out of my wallet. I sort of pulled it out. I was breathing really, really heavy. And then I read him the number, read him the card details, name, billing address, and I just waited. Bated breath, right? Did I really just do this? Did I really just give this guy my credit card information and give him $6,000? All right, he said. You'll get an email receipt and a message with your login credentials and next steps. And that was it. I spent $6,000 and now I was in this program. I was going to learn how to build my own marketing agency, start my own business to reduce my risk because I had a family and I don't want to take too big of a risk on this, right? I don't want to burn all the ships as they say. I had a part-time job with my now full-time employer lined up that was going to help me fund the journey. So that felt reassuring. I had some money coming in, but still $6,000 is no small amount of cash. So I immediately got to work. I scheduled a call with one of the head coaches. I began going through the curriculum, set up a website, built my sales outreach system, and for a couple months, I felt really optimistic about this. I set ambitious goals and had every intention of achieving them. Running the sales calls wasn't easy, and I felt some hesitation about the fact that I wasn't actually going to do the work I was selling. I was going to outsource it, but this was going to work. It had to work. I didn't have another choice. At least that's how I felt. Can you guess what happened next? I failed. Miserably, in fact. It was a total disaster. I was desperate for clients. And my prospects could feel that desperation. I had no passion for the agency life. No zeal for the product I sold. No origin story to explain why I was doing this other than, I need money! And so I sold zero clients on my work. Not even one. It didn't matter that I paid to learn the system. I still failed. It only took three months making a part-time income and killing my self-esteem for me to make the tough decision to accept sunk costs and move on. And for the next year after that, 
the whole endeavor was a very tender subject for me. I was humiliated that I'd spent so much money trying to start something only to have it blow up in my face. How could I tell people I'd been stupid enough to pay that kind of cash for someone to teach me their system? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? How could I suspect that it would ever work for me? These were the thoughts that dominated my consciousness for the next year after my mistaken investment. Eventually, though, I found solace. I was able to move on. I didn't want to become a pillar of salt. I didn't want to spend my whole life looking back. So I found solace in the realization that the greater the risk you take, the greater your belief needs to be in what you are doing. My friend Jordan Abarella taught me an important lesson just a couple weeks ago, actually. He was faced with the chance to take a job with a company that he probably could have made some good money with, but he would have had to give up the company that he's starting. And Jordan rejected that job offer. And when I asked him why, he said, I believe so much in what I'm doing that if I had to, I would sell my truck. And Jordan loves his truck. I would sell my truck to be able to support my family for a couple months while I build this thing. Jordan had what I did not have when I built my agency. Jordan has what I did not have when I built my agency. He has belief in what he's doing. I lacked the belief that what I was doing was right and good. On one particular call with my head coach, I remember feeling especially discouraged. He, he could sense it in me too and tried to reassure me by saying, Zach, you're doing the right thing. You're making the right choice. As if investing all my money and starting this marketing agency was a moral imperative. I wanted to believe him. I really did. But I just didn't. I lacked the belief that the service I offered even worked. The whole experience reminds me of Phil Knight's words. Phil Knight is the founder of Nike. And while I could never do his story justice retelling it, I do want to share what was the most powerful lesson I learned from his book, Shoe Dog. At the beginning of his career, Knight sold encyclopedias in Hawaii, but he was terrible at it. Later, he sold mutual funds and did okay at that, but he was definitely no selling savant. Most people would say, well, Phil, you're just not cut out for selling. But when it came to shoes, he was an extraordinary salesman. After all, today, Nike is worth well over $100 billion. And Phil has a beautifully articulate hypothesis for why he was so great at selling shoes, but not the other stuff. He says, I'd been unable to sell encyclopedias, and I despised it to boot. I'd been slightly better at selling mutual funds, but I'd felt dead inside. So why was selling shoes so different? Because, I realized, it wasn't selling. I believed in running. I believed that if people got out and ran a few miles every day, the world would be a better place. And I believed that these shoes were better to run in. People sensing my belief wanted some of that belief for themselves. Belief, I decided. Belief is irresistible. My agency failure, Knight's encyclopedia woes, his historic shoe empire, Jordan's business, you and your next presentation or story, the single most important element in determining the success of any endeavor is belief. People sense belief. They sense when you're truly talking about something you care for and believe in. 
Simon Sinek, whose first TED Talk is one of the most viewed speeches on the internet, is often asked for speaking advice. And his first piece of advice is always the same. Only speak on things you care about. When you care, the story resonates more. It engages people more deeply. They can feel your sincerity. This is perhaps the most important rule of storytelling in any context. You must believe in what you're saying. If you don't have that, nothing else matters. But can it really be that simple? You might be thinking that. You might be wondering if it can really be as simple as belief. And the answer is yes, but also no. I say yes because belief is the most important element of storytelling by far. It's not even close. But I say no because there are two other factors I believe should accompany your belief. Factors that make the difference between the stories that people appreciate but forget and the stories that they remember forever. Investor Julian Shapiro has a beautiful way of describing the first of these two additional ingredients. He calls it blowing your own mind. When you blow your own mind when you're telling a story, something mesmerizing happens. You relive the story and its emotions in real time. This is irresistibly infectious for the audience. It works because of the phenomenon of mirror neurons, as some call it. When you see a fighter break their ankle, you wince in pain. That's mirror neurons at work. Similarly, when you see someone who can't breathe from laughing so hard, you smile. And the classic example, when the person next to you yawns, you yawn too. So if you're not blowing your own mind, how do you expect your audience to be blown away? It gets better. Blowing your own mind ties perfectly into your learnings from cinema, too. These are Julian's words I'm quoting. You, as the speaker, relive the hero's journey for your audience, and the audience then experiences the magic through you. You are the audience's proxy. This means you need to be excited at moments of excitement, be shocked at moments of shock, and be wowed at moments of wonder. Listeners feed off this like candy. To summarize this into a simple idea... Vocal storytelling is reliving. Have you ever wondered why some people, and this is my words now, we're cutting away from Julian. Have you ever wondered why some people can be 10 times more engaging than their peers, even though they're less polished? They're less polished in their communication? Whether in a church congregation, at work, a TED conference, a trade show, or a community gathering of any kind, there's always someone who the audience just can't help but listen to despite the fact that their delivery is a little sloppy. And when there are those, and then there are those incredibly frustrated people who are polished, prepared, and really believe in what they're saying, but the audience just can't get into it. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been the person who believes in it and is prepared, but you feel like nobody's getting into your message. And then you see the other guy who barely prepared, put his speech together on a, on a napkin or sticky note, and the audience is roaring with laughter. They love it. Why is that? The best answer I found to describe the difference between you and that person is this sensation of blowing your own mind. You have to relive the stories you're telling as you tell them, as Shapiro says. When people relive their stories during the telling of them, there's a certain joy and connection that's created. What gets in the way of people being able to relive their stories, though, even if they believe in what they're saying, is something called technobabble. If you feel like, gosh, I believe in what I'm saying, but people still aren't getting it, you may be suffering from techno babble. When you believe deeply in something, 
you begin to obsess over it. And you explore the deepest depths of the subject and learn all the technicalities of it. And often, when you're sharing that passion with others, it's easy to get caught up in explaining the technobabble, the deeper details you began to learn after you became passionate. Allow me to illustrate. Suppose you become passionate about healthy eating. You have an emotional and revelatory experience that sends you in an, into an obsessive study of healthy eating. From there, you learn about macros and building fitness plans and meal planning and finding healthier alternatives to popular meals. And then in the midst of all this learning and obsessing, you get an opportunity to share your passion with a friend. So where do you start? Well, where you should start is the emotional experience that got you passionate about healthy eating in the first place. The story of conflict and pain that led you here. But that's not what most people do. Most people start by sharing what they've learned. They try to explain the techno babble to people. The stuff they only know because they became obsessed in the first place. But let me ask you this. If you didn't become obsessed with the fine details of your passion until after you became passionate about it, why would anyone else care without a similarly powerful experience? If you had an amazing experience that made you love going to the gym, how can you expect anyone else to care about going to the gym without also having an amazing experience like that? It's the action, it's the doing, it's the experiencing, the creating your own story that gets people to believe in something, not the techno babble, not the education. If you really want people to care about what you believe in, it helps to start by reliving the story of how you came to believe in that thing out loud for them to hear. Now, you've got belief and you've got reliving the story, but there's one more thing that you need to have if you want people to listen to what you have to say. Suppose you had the opportunity to spend all day, every day for one year with Tom Brady. You get to spend eight hours a day learning football and quarterbacking from him. You learn how he thinks, how he prepares, his form and rhythm and throwing motion. He'd coach you up constantly and give you every possible chance to learn what makes him great. What an incredible opportunity, right? I mean, who would not take that, at least if you like football? But alas, even if that was reality, you'd never, ever become even remotely as good as Tom Brady. Why? Because if it were just about the behavior Brady exhibits, there'd be plenty of quarterbacks just like him. But there's not. There's only one Tom Brady. He has a completely unique combination of skills, attitude, discipline, and passion that make him the greatest of all time. Now take that same scenario of studying under an expert, apply it to the very top person in a field you care deeply about, and you'll get the same outcome every time. You cannot duplicate the best performers in a field no matter how much you study them. The thing that makes them so special is not just what they do, it's that they are themselves. They found a way to bring their unique personality into the game and it makes them unstoppable. They are, as it is called, authentic. There's only one Tom Brady, one Oprah, one Tiger Woods, one Phil Knight. This is the key to memorable and effective storytelling. You cannot rely on formulas and how-to guides to make you great. You cannot rely on what someone else did to make your story mean something to people. There comes a point when you must have an undying belief in your story. 
a way of constantly reliving it as you tell it so we can feel your genuine emotion. And you must have an approach to telling it that is so uniquely you that no one could ever possibly duplicate it. My agency failed because I lacked all three of those elements. I lacked belief. I never had a story to relive other than, hey, I need money. This seems like a good way to do it. And I borrowed the passion and personality of my coaches when I sold. It wasn't me. My training class I I talked about in the first episode of this podcast, the one that the client called a disaster, that failed for the same reasons. I lacked belief in my message. I didn't tell a revelatory story to the audience. I merely stated facts and bullet points. And I suppressed my personality because I thought I needed to act professional. I needed to act like someone else. And without those things, it's very difficult. I I would even say it's oftentimes impossible to make people care about what you have to say. But if you do have belief, and if you can blow your own mind as you tell the story, and if you utilize your unique personality in telling it, you will achieve storytelling success even if you're not that polished in the storytelling tactics everyone likes to talk about.